0: Meet me at the Chasin. I'm your host, Jennifer Fields. The most striking element of the Emancipation Group sculpture is President Abraham Lincoln standing over what appears to be a man breaking the shackles of slavery. However, according to Dr. Janine Urimoto-Bolt, a closer look reveals even more detail.
1: I'm Janine Yorimoto bolt I'm the Associate Curator of American Art at the Chazen Museum of Art. And Remancipation, to me, is sort of the exploration of what freedom means or emancipation means, because it means different things to different people. Uh, People experience it differently, and people have very different experiences of emancipation, both historically and in the contemporary world. And so, Remancipation, as a word, sort of gets at this idea of sort of rethinking or remixing what what freedom and emancipation is. And the project allows us to do that around one particular piece that claims to represent emancipation.
0: Talk to me, Janine, about your involvement in the project.
1: My role has been to do a lot of historical research around the sculpture, uh, its art historical and historical context, um, and to put together a lot of material on interpreting the sculpture. Um, so how do we interpret the iconography, both um, in today's world and also um, historically? How, what did Ball mean when he put this piece together? Um, and tracing the history of the sculpture um, and its multiple versions. So trying to track down as many versions as I could in the bronze, the marble, um, what museums are they in? Are there any in private collections? and putting all that information together and sharing it with our collaborators. I've also been doing a lot of uh, writing and uh, preparation for the exhibition.
0: I thought, Janine, that when you see a sculpture and you see it in place, where it's going to live, where it occupies a space, whether it be in a gallery or outside, it's easy to think that that's the one sculpture. I know from just my background that it takes many different forms of maquettes and small studies, or maquettes, which are small studies, to get to the final piece, but knowing that there are different versions out there in the world, I was kind of surprised. So talk to me about those different versions that are out there of the Emancipation Group.
1: Sure. Well, Ball initially would have created a plaster version um, in his studio in Florence, Italy. And I believe that the first composition he uh, developed uh, showed Lincoln standing over a kneeling freedman, but leaning on an American sort of shield um, and holding a laurel victory wreath over a stack of books and the Emancipation Scroll. And this was produced in bronze, so it's cast in bronze in Italy. Um, There are at least a few versions of them out there. And then I believe he made some changes to the composition. Uh, we don't know exactly why, um, but he replaced a shield and stack of books with a column covered in sort of patriotic uh, or national symbols. And the Emancipation Group, or I'm sorry, the Emancipation Proclamation scroll and one book now appear sitting on top of that column. And I believe that this is the second version that he produced. And this one he produced in marble, so he had stone cutters uh, carve it out of white Italian marble. And this is a the version then that William Greenleaf Elliott, who was part of the Western Sanitary Commission and the committee for erecting the Freedmen's Monument in uh, Washington, D.C., he saw this c- version of the composition in Ball's Florence studio. And this version then became the basis for the monumental bronze version of the sculpture that appeared uh, first in Washington, D.C., and then a few years later, another version was made for Boston. And this version is very, very similar with the changes only coming in the figure of the freedman himself. So Elliot and the Western Sanitary Commission asked Ball to make two um, important changes to the the composition before it was cast in Monumental Bronze. Uh, One change was that they wanted the freedman to be modeled after a, a real person. So they gave him a photograph of a man named Archer Alexander. Who was a formerly enslaved man from Missouri and they wanted Ball to create sort of a portrait of this man because they said that that would represent truth better. Um, Of course Archer Alexander was actually not freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. He was a self-emancipated man who ran away from his enslaver um, because he lived in Missouri and the Emancipation Proclamation did not actually uh, free anyone in Union-held territory in Missouri. The second change was they asked him to make the wrist position differently. So in in the original, sort of the first bronze and the first marble, the kneeling freedman's wrist is sort of slack and he's sort of um, making a hand gesture that looks like a Christian blessing. In the monument version, they asked him to, they asked Ball to change the wrist position so that it looked like the freedman was assisting in breaking his own chains. So his fist, so his hand is now in a fist, and it sort of raised up. Um, and they did this because they wanted the freedman to have a little more agency in the sculpture, um, which is an interesting sort of request because it shows that this committee of white men in the 19th century already saw the sort of the problematic issues in the composition that Ball had created in the first Marble and Bronze of not giving the freedman any agency. It's
0: also fascinating to me, Janine, that idea of that change follows the money. Like these rich people can afford to say, okay, we're going to redo it and we're going to make these changes. So it's this idea of, it's not only filtered through Ball's lens, but also through the lens of people who are funding the sculpture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the interesting thing is most, almost all of the money for the monument actually was donated by African-Americans. An African-American woman named Charlotte Scott, who was formerly enslaved, uh, started the collection. She donated $5. And the money ended up with the Western Sanitary Commission. And then they went around and they started a national campaign to get African-Americans to donate money. And so African-Americans actually funded the monument. They collected um, over $16,000. And then the federal government donated like, basically the base for the sculpture in DC. Um, But the men in charge of handling the money and the committee were all white men who were part of the Western Sanitary Commission. So even though African Americans had funded it, uh, it was white men who were in control of the money.
0: I really want to get into some of the symbols of the sculpture, because usually we approach things from the front. Take me around the sculpture and some of the symbols that we'll see should be ventured towards the back of it.
1: So when you walk around the back of the sculpture, there's actually a lot of um, small details in the back. So from the front, you can see a sort of a shrouded post. Well, when you walk around the back of the sculpture, you learn that that post is actually sort of a chopped down whipping post, and it has sort of the, the chains attached to it still, and it has been shrouded. And then at the base of the whipping post is a cat of nine tails whip and a broken ball and chain, both of which symbolize sort of the ends of slavery and the ends of corporal punishment associated with slavery. And there's also a rose vine growing up the back of the whipping post, which symbolizes sort of a new life or new beginnings after emancipation. And then right behind Abraham Lincoln is a bleeding heart, sort of just on its own. Um, It's sort of an odd inclusion, but it represents sort of compassion. So the artist seems to be suggesting that, you know, compassion is a trait associated with Lincoln, that Lincoln had been showing compassion to the enslaved population of the United States.
0: And Janine, talk to me about, with knowing what you know about the sculpture and how much work you've done on the sculpture, and now being around the mass consortium and working with the group and, and giving public, public lectures, I guess you could say public lectures on the sculpture, how has or has your thoughts and opinions or your idea about the sculpture changed as you get further and further and further into the Remancipation project?
1: Yeah, well, I've just been so excited by all the artistic responses to the piece. Um, Sort of the work I do is very traditionally art historical, breaking down the iconography and the history, and to see this piece really brought to life and how it continues to affect viewers um, is really fascinating. And to be able to watch people respond to the sculpture in real life and sort of have conversations with it artistically, has been really eye-opening and really helps bring home the idea that these historical pieces continue to live in the present moment and to be really impactful um, for people today. And in giving multiple presentations and talking about the the sculpture and inviting people to look closely at it, um, they've encouraged me to see this new things in the sculpture, to ask new questions, right? asking new questions about how all the elements fit together Why do they fit together certain ways? And then I've been asked some really interesting questions like the role of religion in government, for instance, because the quote at the base of the sculpture includes a quote from Emancipation that invokes God's name. There's some sort of Christian symbolism with a bleeding heart and the hand gesture the kneeling Freedman is making. And that was not really a question I had thought about, and I still don't know the answer, but just thinking about all these different avenues and ways to interpret the piece and thinking about the many different influences in the sculpture, but also in the Emancipation Proclamation itself and in this moment of late 19th century American history.
0: So in your relationship with the sculpture and in your relationship with the Mass Consortium and the Re-Emancipation Project, What would be your response this moment to the sculpture? If you had to respond to it, and this could take in, you can recreate a Sims world, whatever your response (laughs) could be to this, what would it be?
1: Oh man, that's a great question. And actually not one I have been thinking about. Um, My response would be, um, I would really love to see this sculpture sort of inverted. Um, we're so used to seeing sculptures of men like President Lincoln um, in elevated positions, and I would love to see a sculpture where he perhaps kneels down in forgiveness, um, asking for forgiveness from a person of color, whether be it you know, an African-American figure or a Native American figure, given um, Lincoln's uh, long history with indigenous dispossession and sort of the massacre of indigenous Americans during his uh, tenure as president and sort of invert the sculpture. So we have a kneeling uh, Lincoln sort of in front of you know a standing person of color or people of color, sort of rethinking these historic relationships um, in sculpture and in, in historical life and just thinking about how can we reimagine and use art sort of actually start thinking about reconciliation issues
0: and I want white people to pay for it
1: absolutely (laughs) (laughs) with a a commission of all people of color (laughs) making the sculpture Right, the opposite of what happened with the Emancipation Group Monument
0: You've been listening to Meet Me at the Chasen Our guest, Dr. Janine Yorimoto-Bolt is the Associate Curator of American Art at UW-Madison's Chasen Museum of Art Meet me at the Chazen. It's a production of the Chazen Museum of Art on the campus of UW-Madison in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information about the museum, its collections and exhibitions, visit chazen.wisc.edu. I'm your host, Jennifer Fields. Thanks for listening.